This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Chapter 21 To Traditional Three Uses of the Law Quote, when the known ordinances of God's law are spurned by a culture, it experiences the wrath of God revealed against it in the progressive breakdown of social order and moral decency. End quote. My preceding survey has aimed to delineate many facets of legitimate function of the law as discussed in Scripture. However, traditional Reformed thought has tended to summarize all of these various functions under the heading of three main uses of the law. The Reformers recognized quite clearly that the law had not been abolished in the New Testament age, and yet they were keenly aware of the abuses of the law to which the medieval Roman Catholic Church was prone. Therefore, against antinomians, they argued for the law's validity, and in order to prevent falling into error in the use of the law, they set down the law's proper functions. The first use of God's law, they believed, is the political use of the law. They believed that the enforcement of God's law by the civil magistrate is necessary for the proper and legitimate restraining of ungodly behavior by ungodly men. The second use of the law, which they identified was called the pedagogic use of the law, by providing conviction of sin and creating a sense of spiritual need in the sinner, the law was a tutor which brought him to Christ. In his well-known commentary on the book of Galatians, Luther wrote, quote, the right use and end, therefore, of the law is to accuse and condemn as guilty such as live in security, that they may see themselves to be in danger of sin, wrath, and death eternal. The law with this office helpeth by occasion to justification, in that it driveth the man to the promise of grace. At Galatians chapter 2 verse 17 and chapter 3 verse 19 in this commentary on Galatians. Certainly, no evangelical believer can gainsay that the law properly serves such an end. The third use of the law identified by the reformers was its didactic use, whereby the law supplies a rule for life to believers. Calvin wrote, quote, The law is the best instrument for enabling believers daily to learn what the will of God is which they are to follow, end quote. Although some modern Lutherans have wished to distance themselves from this use of the law, there can be no doubt but that it is endorsed by Luther in the formula of concord. Luther said that apart from appealing to the law for justification, quote, we cannot sufficiently praise and magnify those works which are commanded of God, end quote, in his commentary at Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. To remove the law from the believer, thought Luther, Quote, is a thing impossible and against God, end quote. Accordingly, Luther's small catechism begins with an exposition of the Decalogue. The formula of Concord declared, quote, We believe, teach, and confess that the preaching of the law should be urged, also upon those who truly believe in Christ, are truly converted to God, and regenerated are, and are justified by faith, end quote. Article 6.2 Although the Calvinist branch of the Reformation stresses the law as a good gift of God's grace, and the Lutheran branch stresses it as a constraint, they both agree that the law is to be used to form the life of the regenerate believer. The Controversial First Use Traditionally, Reformed thought has summarized the proper use of the law into three specific functions. It drives the convicted sinner to Christ, 
the second use, and provides a pattern of sanctification for the regenerated believer, the third use. Some debate has surfaced in the past over the third or didactic use of the law, but the Reformed faith has still persisted in the biblical affirmation that the law retains its binding validity for the conduct of believers. More recently, disagreement has arisen with the respect to what the Reformers called the first use of the law, which they took to be its political use in restraining the ungodly behavior of the unregenerate within society. The Reformers were sure enough of this proper function for God's law that they could call it the first and most obvious use for it. In fact, the very passage where Paul suggests that there are both lawful and unlawful uses for the law of God, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, goes on immediately to illustrate a lawful use of the law as that of curbing the outward civil behavior of unruly men, in verses 9 and 10. The law provides an external standard of justice which can be applied within the civil sphere, as is evident from Paul's mentioning of transgressions that can particularly be given cognizance by human law, the law was enacted or laid down, says Paul, for the unruly, such as murderers, kidnappers, homosexuals, perjurers, and the like. The law, by its very nature, aims to restrain the misconduct of lawless men. In the publisher's introduction to the Banner of Truth reprint of Samuel Bolton's marvelous work, The True Bounds of Christian Freedom, the civil importance of God's law is pinpointed nicely. Quote, Grievous and alarming is the present-day de deterioration in the moral condition of society. For this decay, the church is partly blameworthy because, as the preserving salt of the community, she has largely lost her savor. Modern theology has defected. It has cut itself adrift from the ancient landmarks, and present-day society reaps the evil thing and bitter, which is the inevitable consequence. The present prevailing theology has not been able to elevate society and halt its moral decline, and unquestionably, one explanation of this is its misunderstanding of the place of the law and its usefulness in the service of the covenant of grace. End quote. When men fail to see that God's law is meant to operate as external discipline within society, when they doubt and oppose the political use of the law, their societies inevitably suffer the accursed consequences. Carl F. H. Henry puts the matter this way, quote, Even where there is no saving faith, the law serves to restrain sin and to preserve the order of creation by proclaiming the will of God. By its judgments and its threats of condemnation and punishment, the written law, along with the law of conscience, hinders sin among the unregenerate. It has the role of a magistrate who is a terror to evildoers. It fulfills a political function, therefore, by its constraining influence in the unregenerate world, end quote. Biblical Law and Civil Government This political function of the law is undeniable in the Old Testament, where God delivered statutes pertaining to civil matters for his people. These stipulations were integral to the law and order of the Old Testament society, and if Paul's New Testament declaration in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10 through 10 is to be heeded, these stipulations of God's law are still valuable in modern political ethics. Quote, we cannot dismiss these glimpses of the means of law and order in the Old Testament without remembering that this God-given tradition is emphasized and not abrogated by the Christian gospel. Though under grace we are under the law of God and are still accountable to him and reasonable for our fellow men that justice and peace prevail, end quote. D.J. Wiseman, Law and Order in the Old Testament Times. The law of God continues to have an important political function within the New Testament order, as Donald Guthrie recognizes in saying, in the New Testament, a standard of justice is assumed, and there is a clear differentiation 
between what is right and what is wrong. There are echoes of the Old Testament view of social justice. The approach to law in general in the New Testament is intricately bound up with the Mosaic Law, which makes extensive provision for social justice. The importance of this evidence of the sanctity of the law is that it provides a sound basis for social action. For a stable society, law is indispensable. End quote. An ironic situation has arisen in our day. Evangelical Christians who might be considered to lean toward a more liberal position in politics, and evangelical Christians who might be thought to favor a more conservative position in politics, have at least this one unwitting area of significant agreement. They both wish to make a principled and authoritative use of the Old Testament law for social justice. Recent publications which have promoted an active involvement by the believer in relieving the needs of impoverished people around the world have made noteworthy appeal to the law of Jubilee, while many books and articles written to protest the tolerance of homosexuality and or abortion in our day have made clear and unapologetic reference to the Old Testament prohibitions against them. The law is recognized as having a continued political significance by present-day believers, even when they do not systematically work out a theological foundation for the appeals which are made to the law's authority in contemporary society, and even when they might elsewhere unwittingly contradict that assumed foundation. That foundation is the continuing validity of God's law, even in its social or political relevance. Strangely enough, it is often those who are heirs to the Reformation tradition of maintaining the political use of that law that raise objection to that notion today. In resisting the political use of God's law, in detracting from its political relevance, and in encouraging either indifference to questions of social justice or else alternative standards for it, such men are not aligned with their Reformation forefathers. Luther and Calvin were fully in agreement that God's law was an instrument of civil government, functioning to restrain crime and to promote thereby civil order. Luther taught that, quote, The first use of the law is to bridle the wicked. This civil restraint is very necessary and appointed of God, as well as for public peace, as for the preservation of all things, but especially lest the cause of the gospel should be hindered by the tumult and seditions of the wicked, outrageous, and proud men, end quote commentary at Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Calvin concurs, quote, the first use of the law is by means of its fearful denunciations and the consequent dread of punishment to curb those who, unless forced, have no regard for rectitude and justice. Such a persons are curbed, not because their mind is inwardly moved and affected, but because, as if a bridle were laid upon them, they refrain their hands from external acts and internally check the depravity which would otherwise petulantly burst forth. End quote. Calvin's Institutes, Book 2, Chapter 7, Verse 10. This continued to be the view of Reformed thinkers throughout the centuries. At the time of the Westminster Assembly, Samuel Bolton wrote, quote, First of all, then, my work is to show the chief and principal ends for which the law was promulgated or given. There are two main ends to be observed. One was political and the other theological or divine. The political use is hinted at by the Apostle in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. That is, it were made for them in such fashion that, if it were not their rule, it should be their punishment, such as the political use of the law. End quote. Conclusion The political use of the law is admittedly negative and merely deterrent in character. It does nothing to regenerate the sinner or make him right with God. It does not touch his heart or bring him any closer to the Savior. Nevertheless, this function of the law is crucial for man's society. When the known ordinances of God's law are spurned by a culture, 
It experiences the wrath of God revealed against it in the progressive breakdown of social order and moral decency. Romans 1. Because this important political use of the law of God is unpopular in many circles today, and because many people who are educated in the secular environment of our society carry confused conceptions of what this political function entails, the next few chapters will focus on the biblical doctrine of civil government and the biblical laws placed therein. We will see that, quote, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, end quote. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. In which case, we dare not dismiss the political relevance and use of the biblically revealed law of God. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.